Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of John. The Gospel Record of John and chapter number 15. The Gospel Record of John and chapter number 15. We're in our Sunday School series under the furtherance of the Gospel. And we understand that in order to get the Gospel to be used, to be spread, there are certain things that need to be in place. And that we spent the last four weeks talking about the first section about truth. That we must have truth in order to have the gospel. That's what people need is they need the truth. But in order for them to listen to us, we must have influence. And that influence comes through friendship. And so if you wouldn't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John chapter number 15. The Gospel record of John chapter 15, and let's start in verse number 11. The Gospel record of John chapter 15, and notice with me starting at verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known <coughs> unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatsoever ye shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. And if you would notice three different times, the Lord tells his disciples and his followers, he calls them friends. He says it in verse number 13, for his friends. Verse 14, ye are my friends. Once again, in verse number 15, he says that I've called you friends. And so we understand here that as Jesus is talking with his disciples, he begins to teach us more about what it is to be friends. We know that friendship begins with God. And we have a divine invitation to come to the Lord. He desires to transform the strangers and aliens into his friends and true followers of, what the, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a song we like to sing, a good hymn, of what a friend we have in Jesus. It was written by a man by the name of Scriven, who while he was in England had fallen in love with a girl, and a week before their wedding, she uh, drowned in a pool. Can you imagine being ready to marry the love of your life, and right before you're supposed to get married, she dies? Well, that devastated him, and so he decided to leave England, and he went to Canada. And up in Canada, he um, worked and tried to do his best. And once again, he fell in love with a girl. 
And right before their wedding, she got sick of pneumonia and she died. He's only 25 years old and has already suffered two different um, tragedies in his life. Well, he decided that he was going to commit himself to the Lord and serving the poor. And so what he did is he would be known to walk through town with a saw in his hand. And he would go to each of the poor people and try to help with wherever he can. Whether it was house repairs or chopping wood or doing something. And just dedicated himself. But because of that, he never got rich. He was dedicated to help, his poor, uh, to help the poor. Well, he heard that in England his mother got terribly sick and she was soon to die, but he didn't have the money to go and visit her. So what he did is he figured out he'd write a poem to try to encourage her. And he wrote the poem that we know, what a friend we have in Jesus, just to let her know that even though I can't be there, there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And what a friend we have in Jesus. Well, some revivalist got a hold of that poem and, of course, turned it and put music to it and put it as the hymn that we know. And this became very popular uh, and a very much of a help. During World War I and World War II, whenever a, a service person was leaving a church to go off to war in World War I and World War II, before they would leave, they would pray for them and then they would end the song in the service with a song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And if they heard that one of those servicemen had gotten hurt overseas in the duty of war, the congregation, in order to remember them, would sing the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You see, that song is such a comfort and such a help because we do have a friend in Jesus. And as we see here in the gospel record of John chapter 15, Jesus explains more about this friendship, what it entails, what is in part of it to become friends. We know that friendship starts with the Lord, and this is the part of the relationship we're going to start off for first, that if we're going to have our place in accomplishing the Great Commission, the friendship that we have to start with is a friendship with the Lord. If you don't mind, let's look here and let's see some things that are entailed to have friendship with the Lord. The first thing that we notice as Jesus is explaining this, we see what we're told here is that we see compassion. Compassion. Notice again in the gospel record of John chapter 15 and notice with me in verse 13. First, uh, the book of John, gospel record of John chapter 15 and verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. How was friendship demonstrated? By great compassion. That he said, no greater love is this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, to have compassion on his friends, that I'd be willing to do whatever it takes to help my friend out because I care for them, because of the compassion that I have. Of course, Jesus demonstrated this friendship when he went to the cross several hours after saying this, and he died for his friends. And he died for you and he died for me. Jesus demonstrated this friendship in his own body. It wasn't just words. He proved it by having compassion on us and laying down his life for his friends. We're coming back to the gospel record of John to see the rest of this. But just to see what is written later on, notice with me in the book of 1 John towards the end of the Bible. And let's see what Jesus says or what the 
Bible says a little bit later, dealing with this compassion that we should have some friends. That in order to have the friendship that we ought to have with Jesus Christ, one of the ingredients that Jesus speaks about is compassion. Compassion. Notice with me in the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And notice with me in verse 16. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever have this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Notice it actually uses the word compassion here in verse number 17. It says that if we're going to have friends, we ought to lay down our life for our brother. We ought to be a people of compassion, true friendship. That if we see a brother that has a need and we have the ability to meet that need, we should if we care for them. If we don't, then we're not their friends. We don't care. This goes a long way. What type of compassion that you have? A friendship with no compassion, no caring is not a friendship at all. We have to have this compassion, this caring that marks this true friendship. In fact, notice with me as we see in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is often called the great love chapter, speaking about great love. Notice what it describes love here. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it uses the word charity, which is the ultimate form of love. It carries the idea of a love that cost me something with no hope of return. This is that compassionate love that I'm laying down my life. Uh, it may cost me more in order to meet your need, but because I love it, I'm willing to pay that cost even though you can never repay it. You can never equal that value. Notice in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, and let's just get a good running start in the chapter. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Here it's making a thing that, hey, I could preach, I could speak in tongues, I could do all this other stuff. But if I don't have love, all it is is noise. We all have people that we know, maybe it's us from time to time, that, that we may speak well, but when we're needed, you're not found then it's just noise. For example, we all know people that say, I'm praying for you, and you don't really believe them. We, they say it as a platitude. You understand, it's just noise if it doesn't have love behind it. Verse number two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand the mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. Again, you could know all of the Bible. You can know how to pray. You can know how to do all the mysteries that the Bible holds. But if you don't have love, if you don't have this compassionate love, if you don't have this love that costs you something, I'm nothing. It doesn't matter. You know, how are we going to reach a world that we never touch? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
we know that there's plenty of eggheads who know are very good on the internet and they can correct everything and criticize everything and break down a sermon. But there's no love. There's no compassion. And it doesn't matter because they're never going to have an audience. It's not going to affect anything. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Here you could do all the good works that you possibly want, but you don't care about people. It's not going to work. You know, people give to the poor without caring about the poor. They give because of status. and because Look at what I do. But it means nothing without love. Verse 4, charity suffereth long. You know what suffereth long means? It means you suffer long. It means if you love someone, you will, even though they make you suffer. And by the way, that's always a risk with love, is to get hurt. But people who don't run that risk, they miss out on so much more. But if you love someone, you're willing to suffer long with them. At ch uh, charity suffereth long and is kind. If we love someone, we will be kind with them. Charity envieth not. That means we're not jealous of them. We all have to watch out for that because we'll get the thing. Why is good things happening to them? Why did they get the, why did they get the money? Why did they get the car? Woo we all get to the thing where we're jealous of someone else when good things happen to them and it didn't happen to us. Well, that's not what love does. It vaunteth not itself. Let me tell you, I'm better than you. Love doesn't do that. It doesn't look down at people. It is not puffed up. Again, that idea of pride, look at me. Doth not behave itself unseemly. The idea of unseemly means out of sorts. It carries the idea of throwing dishes or tossing things or slamming doors or punching holes in walls. That's not what true love does. Does not behave itself seemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Do you know that there's people who are close to us that learn how to push our buttons? <laughs> and if we love them, we're not going to allow them to push the buttons. We forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. We're long-suffering with them, even though they're trying to provoke us. We understand that hurting people hurt people. And sometimes, because they're hurting, they attack the people that they love. And we, we have to deal with it. We can't respond in kind. Thinketh no evil. Now, that's a hard one. You know what that, that carries the idea of? That you're not expecting them to fail. You know, we could get to the place where we're so used to people that they fail, they fail, they fail. So we expect them to fail again. Now, we understand we can't be unrealistic, but at the same time, we should be hoping that this time they're going to pass. Hoping this time they're going to come. And so we're explaining true love as the Lord Jesus Christ taught us. And he starts off by talking about compassion. That no man 
No greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And now we're in the book of 1 Corinthians 13, and we're exploring what the Bible speaks about, this compassionate love, this love that cost me something with no hope of repayment, no hope of return. But yet, because I love them and I have compassion on them, verse number 6 of 1 Corinthians 13, rejoiceth not in iniquity. That means when they they fail, when they do sin, we're not cheering, ah, I knew you were going to mess up, loser. We should be brokenhearted when they mess up. Not expecting it, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. That carries the idea that we're carrying the load. That even though they are heavy, and we have people that we love that are heavy, we carry that. It beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. As long as there's breath, there is hope. There is hope. As long as Jesus is on the throne, there is hope. There is not such a thing as a hopeless person. Because Jesus is still alive. And as long as we love them, them, we are hoping them. Endureth all things. Verse 8. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be any knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But that when that is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, verse number 11 seems out of sorts. We just got through talking about charity and went through this big long list of charity. Then all of a sudden you have this this verse in here. When I became a man, I spake as a child, I understood it. How does that fit? Well, let me tell you, that's the key to the verse. You understand, when you were born... They had a big celebration. Yay, you were born! And you get presents, and if they really loved your parents, they gave you lots of diapers, and you were there. You didn't do anything but be popped out. And then after that, you survive one trip around the sun, and you get presents, and everyone's uh, so happy for you. And as time goes on, you go to kindergarten, and just because you survived nap time for just a school year, People celebrate, yay, you graduated kindergarten. This is so wonderful. And then you survive and actually show up to school. And eventually you graduate high school and everybody shows up and gives you things. Then you pass some tests and you survive college. You grow and get married and people fly in all the, everywhere to come and see this. And all the way up to this time, it's been all about you. That's what a child does. A child just thinks of themselves. It's all about me. It's all about me. What I feel, what I want. So when I was a child, I spake as a child. It's all about me. It's all about me. When I, I understood as a child, I looked at everything by how it affected me. It affected me. I thought as a child. My thought life didn't think of anything else but me. But when I became A man, I put away childish things. When does someone become a man? When does someone become a grown-up? When they turn 18? Well, probably not. We know lots of people who are 18. When they become 21? No, not necessarily. 
I, we all know 50-year-olds who's still childish. When does someone become mature? When do they become a man? When they decide to love someone else at the cost of themselves with no hope or return. That's what true charity is. It is a compassion, willing to give of yourself to someone else, pledging to take care of someone. You understand, love is not a feeling. Hollywood has sold people that you could fall in love and out of love. Love is a commitment. Love is willing to go through these things, bearing someone else because you love them, because you have compassion on them, even though they may never return, they can never give back what you've given them. That's exactly the love that Jesus Christ had for us. Jesus gave his life for a friend. And he gave us the example that if we're going to be friends of other people, we're going to take the responsibility for them, even if we don't get anything out of this relationship. That's a tall ask, but that's true compassionate friendship. That's what Jesus Christ is speaking about here. He loves us unconditionally. He does not equate our behavior with our worth. Meaning that God refuses to love us any less and he cannot love us anymore. He loves us supremely. Nothing you can do can make God love you any less. We don't have to earn his love, and it's not based off of what I do. He loves me anyways, and he cares for me, and he's given his best for me. And as we have a desire to reach the world, we have to have this love that matters. Remember, as it spoke about in 1 Corinthians, we could have all the Bible knowledge, we could have all the answers, but if we don't love them, we'll never reach them. This is part of it. In order to reach the world, we have to have this love. And the first characteristic of this love is compassion. As we turn back to the gospel record of John, chapter number 15, we can see that Jesus has gathered his disciples, and three different times he uses the word friends and friendship to explain this what they need to have in order to reach the world remember Jesus is going to the cross right now they're heading to the garden of Gethsemane the last supper has been finished they're heading the garden of Gethsemane within 24 hours he's going to be dead on the cross and so he's pulling his disciples aside with the idea that they are to reach the world and in order to prepare them how are they going to reach the world we see this idea of friendship and we understand that our friendship, the first friendship that has to be secured is our friendship with the Lord. That's the first one we have to guard and protect. And as Jesus is talking, if we're going to do what we're supposed to do, we have to have this compassion with a friendship. Notice there's another type as he describes this friendship. What's another description of this friendship? Notice with me in, first, in the gospel record of John chapter 15 verse 14. Gospel record of John chapter 15 verse 14. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. The second thing about this friendship that we ought to have not only is compassion, but confidence. Confidence. Now, if you read that, we tend to like to read it like this. All right, let's read the verse first. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. When one first reads this, it sounds as though he commands us to do certain things and then we don't need to call ourselves his friends if we're not going to do them. But what this is speaking about, 
ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you, which is carrying the idea that you're my friend and I'm putting my confidence in you that you are going to get this done. It's not that, listen here, I'm the boss, you do what I say or we're not going to be friends. What are you speaking about here is that because you're my friends, I have confidence you're going to get this done. This trust. You know that in order to be friends with someone, you have to have trust. He says, I'm your friend and I'm trusting you. I'm putting my confidence in you that you're going to do these things that I've asked. Not as the idea that he's the big boss, but because he's our friend, we're willing to get it done. You know, if we have this type of friendship, there may be some things that our friend wants that we do because they're our friend. We wouldn't have normally done it, but because they're our friend and they've asked it, we help them out. We, we help them with these things. God has entrusted us with a work. What is it that he gave us to do? We're to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is what God has given us. The gospel record of Mark chapter 16 verse 15. He's putting confidence in us to accomplish what he has given us to do. To accomplish the great commission. He is trusting us. You know sometimes people say, well why did God trust us? Why couldn't God just put, put it in the clouds? Why couldn't he just put it in the rocks? Why couldn't he have the birds sing? Because he's entrusting this to his friends to get done. He's not trusting nature. He's trusting his friends. And because we're his friends, we're going to get this accomplished. You understand? This is why this must be our first friendship is with the Lord. If we're going to reach the world, if we're going to accomplish the Great Commission, if we're going to witness to people as we ought, we understand we're doing this because our friend has asked us to do this. And he has placed our confidence. And it's not going to get done if we don't do this that he's trusted us to do. God has given us this. He has placed his confidence. You know, the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs that a confidence in an unfaithful man is like a foot out of joint. It says in a different passage, uh, confidence in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth. Have you ever had a broken tooth that every time you breathe, that nerve got... You know how aggravating that is? Well, the same thing. If you trust in someone and they don't do the job, it's painfully aggravating. I trusted you to do this and you wouldn't get it done. A foot out of joint to have your foot, um, the bones in it displaced and you can't walk and how a hindrance, you know, you think that the foot, that's not a big deal, but you know, ever smash your toe in the middle of the night against a chair, it messes up everything, doesn't it? I was speaking about how last night I slipped in the shower and I grabbed a hold of the, uh, the, uh, a handicap thing. It's amazing. I got a handicap thing in my shower, but twisted my ankle, twisted my back, and now I'm all out of sorts and hurting really bad because I've already had back problems and stuff. It's amazing how just one little thing can mess up the whole, the whole program. Jesus said, I'm putting confidence in you because you're my friend. And he doesn't want to have his confidence misplaced. Can he trust you? Can he trust you to do what he asked because you're his friend?
as we come back, not only do we have Jesus Christ describing this friendship and what friendship ought to have. That friendship starts with compassion. Friendship has a confidence. But as we also look in the gospel record of John chapter 15, notice with me in verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for a servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I call you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. There's something else that we see here that if we're going to have a true friendship is companionship, is companionship. He says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. There's an intimacy found in true friendship. Friendship involves companionship. It's required that we spend time with him. Hold your finger here and let me show you something in the gospel record of Mark chapter number three. The Gospel record of Mark, chapter 3. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you're in John now. Turn the other direction. We come to Luke, and then we come to Mark. Mark, chapter 3. Remember that friendship requires companionship. Friendship requires us to spend time with others. Notice in the Gospel record of Mark, chapter number 3, and we can see Jesus Christ is ordaining, choosing the, 13, uh, the 12 to be with him out of all the disciples that were following him. Notice with me in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 3. The gospel record of Mark chapter 3, and notice with me in verse 13. The gospel record chapter 3 and verse 13. And he, that's Jesus, goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he, Jesus, ordained 12. Why? That they should be with him and that they might send him forth to preach. If we look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, often I'll ask the question, why did God choose or ordain the 12? Some people would jump to the end and say to send them off to preach, but that's not the answer. Why did God call them? Notice this, and they, he ordained the 12. Why? That they should be with him. Why did God call the 12? To be with him. You see, until we've been with him, we have nothing to preach. We have no message until we've been with him. This is what means to be started off. Now, by the way, how do we spend time with God? Through Bible reading and prayer. When we read our Bible, he speaks to us. When we pray, we speak to him. But we have to have that fellowship. We have to have this intimacy. By the way, without this being with God, we're not going to go preach. We're not going to give the gospel. This Bible reading and prayer has to be in place as a habit, being close to him before we go out. We'll never go out faithfully or with confidence or with his favor upon us if we haven't first been with him. This is where it starts off with, to be with him. Notice as we're back in John chapter 15, notice what he says about this. Again, verse number 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit shall remain, and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he shall give to you. 
We have this intimacy. We have this companionship. We have a greater knowledge of God. And with that understanding, we can go and ask God for even more things in prayer. Because he's our friend. And he's going to give us those things that we need to do what he's asked us to do. Because he, he's told us. He's not withholding knowledge. He's told us knowledge. You ever notice why? I get this question from time to time. Why did God speak in parables? He did not speak in parables to hide truth. He spoke in parables to reveal truth. But he wanted people to take the time to want it. So someone who didn't care about the truth, they'd hear parables. I don't know what it is. But for someone who loved the Lord and said, Lord, I want to know more. It was there to reveal truth to them. God hasn't hidden things from us. He wants us to know these things. Why? Because he's our friend. We're not just a servant. It's not just do what I tell you to do. He tells us why he wants it done. Because he's our friend. And when we understand what he's trying to get accomplished, we understand his heart, we understand his program, we understand what he's asked us to do, then we can ask of him what we need to get the job done. Because he's our friend. So again, as we talk to this subject about unto the furtherance of the gospel, we understand that what we need is truth. And we spent time explaining the truth, that people need the truth. But in order for them to receive the truth, there needs to be a friendship. And the first friendship is our friendship with the Lord. That has to be right. And what does that friendship entail? Compassion, confidence, and companionship. That if God doesn't trust us or we don't trust him, this friendship doesn't work. If we won't spend time with him, this friendship will not work. We are not going to be equipped. We're not going to be able to get what we need. And it's just not going to be done. We understand Jesus Christ has demonstrated friendship to us. Our response to him is to be friends with him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.